over a month ago when we would start this service, the sun was in my eyes. But, uh, <laughs> that's not an issue tonight. All right. Well, we are continuing our study of Isaiah. We're in the home stretch of this thing. Um, we left off last week with um, Isaiah was kind of drawing a contrast between someone who humbles themselves before the Lord. Remember, you know, the, the guy that, uh, remember Jesus told the, a parable of uh, two different men that went to worship at the temple, and, and one cried out, you know, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like that's, that's the guy who left right with the Lord. And so he's contrasting that type of attitude with those who basically would be their own God, and they're, you know, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like these other people, but I'm, I'm a little bit better. You know? Uh, and, you know, it's funny, there was actually a traditional prayer that many Jewish men would pray that they thank God that they were not born a woman. That gives you an idea of, of the, uh, the attitude toward women at the time. Um, anyway, so uh, we're going to read just a few verses from chapter 57 where he kind of summed up the, you know, the contrast between these two different types of people. Uh, Isaiah 57, verse 18, he said, I have seen his ways, now, this is the humble man, or the one that humbles himself before the Lord, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the praise of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far and to him who is near says the Lord, and I will heal him. But, this point, the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. You know, basically, there's, there's people that, you know, make themselves the God of their own life. Uh, their life is always turmoil. Right? In verse 21, it says it this way, it says, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And so that's an easy thing for uh, for Christians to go, Amen. Right? There's no peace for the wicked, and thank God I'm not like those people. Right? It's the very thing that Jesus cautions us about. Because it's not that cut and dry, right? It's not just a story of good guys and bad guys. And we're going to see that tonight uh, in, in chapter 58. He's going to show that there's some gray area, right? Even those who you know, started a relationship with me through faith, can still live wickedly and still miss out on some of the peace that I have for them. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, but before we get into it, let's pray. Ask God to help us understand all this stuff. Jesus, we thank you this evening that uh, you blessed us to be able to gather together um, and just to get to hang out and fellowship and, and uh, sing a couple songs. We get to All those are blessings we take uh, for granted. Lord, we know that uh, the same message you were speaking through Isaiah thousands of years ago, you're still speaking into the hearts of people today. And Lord, we just pray tonight that uh, you would open our hearts, open our minds 
to that message, that we could receive it, be changed by it, and leave here, Lord, uh, not just with some history, not just with a little lesson, but Lord, that we would leave here knowing you a little bit better and being closer to you. And God, that that would play out in our lives tomorrow. Alright, so Isaiah 58, verse 1. It says, Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sin. So even for those who are of the household of faith, he says, I want you to send out this message, this warning to my people. Uh, we can still lose some of our peace. Now, we, we can't ever sever our relationship with God completely. Just as, um, you know, if you've trusted Jesus for eternal life, you are born again, he says. Right? You are born into the family of God. And those of you that have kids, you know that even though your kids can really tick you off and they can, they can run as far away from you as they want and they can live as differently as you, uh, from what you raised them to be, but no, no matter what they do, even if they change their name, they will forever be your child. Right? And that's the, the, the relationship that we have with, with God. But we can miss out on so much of the peace and the blessing that He has for us uh, when we get tied up in the wrong thing, when we get tied up in wickedness. The New Testament talks about, um, you know, the Lord teaches how to avoid or to watch out for the sins that so easily entangle us. I think it's in Hebrews. Right? That we, ha- we all have those, those sins that we just so easy to get caught up in. Right? I like to call those our my pet sins. Right? It's just the sin that I love it and I cuddle it. And, and it's okay because it's mine. Right? But it looks really bad on you, but it's okay because it's mine. Those are the things that we, we can so easily get tangled up in. And we all, all it's different for everybody, right? But you know what yours is. You know that thing that, man, I just, like, I can't walk past a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, you know? Uh, that's that's not my only problem. But, you know, that's one of them. That's one of them that I, I, I know that, like, it's better to just not have those in the house uh, because I, I really struggle to, to walk past them. Verse 2, he says, Yet... <coughs> So declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day, and they delight to know my ways. As a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, they ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. All of those things sound good, right? He says, my people... They, they're praying, they're talking to me. Uh, they pay attention to the, the laws that I've laid out. They, they do the things. Right? They do all the stuff that I told them to do. Uh, they ask me for just decisions. Uh, they delight to be near me. All of that sounds great. These are people that they enjoy the, the religious part of their relationship with God. These are people that 
people that probably love to debate theology. They love to uh, argue about all the complicated intricacies. But they're not doing the simple stuff. We're going to find out. In our day, this would basically be, these are people that are really good at doing church. Really good at you know I show up when the doors are open I do all the things uh, and really bad at living it outside the church right? living it outside the building uh, these are people he says they they're doing all the things they 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 ask me they like they do talk to me they pray uh, they they've done good things. And one of the things that they do that they're really religious about, that they're really careful to make sure that they practice, is fasting. And he's going to talk about that here in the next verse. Uh, verse 3. He says, Why have we fasted and you do not see? This is what his people are saying to him. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Dad made the, the joke, like, look what I can do, right? That's what they're doing, right? Look what I can do. I fasted. Did you notice, God? Did you notice the thing I did? Now, fasting, is, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic. Uh, spiritual discipline. The Jews, traditionally, they would fast on uh, Tuesday and Thursday. There were a couple days a week where they would abstain from certain foods or maybe abstain from food altogether, depending on the, you know, the level of the, the fast that they were taking, or maybe they would even abstain from food and liquids. That was a really rare thing. But they would fast, and they're like, God, you're not noticing this, this really hard thing that I'm doing. Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Then God answers, he says, Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire, and you drive hard all of your workers. So you find your desire, your burning passion, right? Uh, you pursue sin is another way that it could be uh, rendered. Basically, what was happening is they would fast, but then take out, you know, when you go without food, you, the first day or so, you're in kind of a foul mood. I don't know if, if you've ever fasted, or maybe you've had to have a medical procedure, you know, and, you know, you can't eat after a certain time, and it's so weird when they tell you that, because then you're like, oh man, I've got to eat at 11.59, because I can't eat past midnight, even though I go to bed at 9.30, right, I, like, it, it's in my head, like, I've I got to do it, uh, but they would fast, and then they'd get in a foul mood, and then they were taking it out on their employees and their servants, right? You drive hard all of your workers when you're fasting. And you're missing the point of the thing, is what he's getting at. Verse 4, he says, Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. You, you've lost the point of the thing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever fasted uh, for a spiritual purpose. Uh, but there there are definitely medical benefits. They're finding out more and more. You know that uh, they found that if, if you fast for seven days, 
uh, you know, the, the water fast for seven days, your risk of contracting uh, cancer is reduced by, I don't remember, the, I don't want to give you the wrong number, but it's a, it's a significant percentage. Because there's this thing that happens of apogee uh, uh, where your your body basically feeds on the rotten cells, all the cells that you know it doesn't need, including cancer cells. So there's uh, there's some medical benefits to fasting, but that's not what fasting was about in the Bible. It was it was about um, mastering my flesh for a, for a time, right? Uh, being aware of my need, of aware of a lack in my body that is to remind me of a lack in my spirit or a lack in my life. Something that, oh yeah, I'm hungry. Why am I hungry? Oh yeah, it's because I have this thing going on. I should pray. It's not to, oh God, look at me. I'm so hungry. I'm so sorry. Now fix it. It's to remind me that I need to be talking to God and take that energy that I would normally be pouring into eating a pizza or whatever or that time that I would be taking and, and devote that time to God. And so he says, Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You, you're, you're fasting going, God, bring down judgment on my neighbor you know, who I'm mad at. Or, you know, give me this thing that I want. Because you do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. You're not doing it out of a motivation of prayer and closeness with me. You're not really trying to seek me and draw close to me. You're doing it expecting me to give you your way. When we pray, that's what we want, right? How often do you pray with with uh, no preferred outcome? We always pray, God, bless me this way, or deliver me that way. We we like to give God some ideas of how to to deal with this situation, rather than, Lord, just let your will be done. And so you're, you're you're not trying to draw close to me, you're doing it expecting me to give you your way. You're coming to me with an agenda, not with sincerity. Unfortunately, that's a that's how I think most Christians, myself included, uh, approach God most of the time when it comes to prayer. Is we uh, I think what passes for Christianity in the Western world is more like folk magic and nationalism all mixed together, right? Uh, if I do this thing, God's going to give me that thing. And if something went wrong in my life, it's because I did a bad thing. And those are the things that Jesus came and said, no, you, you, the Jews, have got this all mixed up. That's not how it works. And then we, as Americans, are like, got it. Be like the Jews. Right? Do that. Just like remember when Jesus, the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he was like, okay, pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, you know, goes through all of that. But it, before that, he says, now don't be like these people over here who just use vain repetition, who memorize some words and repeat them over and over. 
that's not what you're going to do. You're going to do it this way. And they're like, got it. Repeat those words. Our Father who art in heaven, how will you do that? Right? And, and then now we still, 2,000 years later, recite those words as if that prayer is more, you know, significant than another. Anyway, I'm a little off track. Also, I just called Christian folk magic and nationalism, so I'm probably in a bit of trouble. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 16, um, Jesus said this. He says, whenever you fast, he didn't say, now, if you fast, if, if you're one of those weird spiritual kooks who decides to go out on a limb way out in left field and fast. No. It's a, it was an expected thing. This is a spiritual discipline. It should be a regular part of our walk with God. He says, when you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. So if you're doing it to, to put on a show, that whatever pat on the back you got, that's what you get for it, basically. Verse 17, but you, when you fast, right, if you're going to be a Christ follower, if you're going to do this the way that I would like you to do it, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, right? Like, you know, get dressed, look good, be, you know, don't look all pitiful and sorry. Verse 18, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So this is the thing between you and me. Don't make a big show of it. Paul says in um, the New Testament that, you know, he fasted often. It was a thing that was a regular thing that he fasted. Now, I, I'm not, we're not going to get into all the specifics and the how-tos and all that and, you know, what you should fast. A fast could be a simple thing is I'm going to give up this thing for a little while. Uh, or it could be as drastic as I'm not going to eat anything or drink anything. That's, I don't advise that. That's not safe. Um, people are like, yeah, Jesus did it. I'm like, yeah, God. God did that. You're right. Um, but the point of the thing is it's about saying no to your flesh. Right? To stopping that cycle of giving in to my flesh all the time. And focusing on God. So it could be as simple as, you know what, I'm going to not have my coffee. That I, you know, I'm, every morning I start my day religiously, right? I start the Keurig and that's the first, that don't talk to me until I've got that sweet, sweet bean juice in my body. But I'm going to fast that for the next couple days. And that time that I would sit and drink my coffee, I'm going to spend that time in prayer or reading or whatever. So God says, when you do this thing, um, you're not doing it with the right motive. I like how the New Living puts verse 4. We'll go back and read Isaiah 58, verse 4 from the New Living. It says, What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. And you could substitute any other religious practice, right? What good is Bible study if you go to work and you're a jerk to everybody the next day? 
What good is church service if you go and treat your waitress terribly at lunch after service? So they were doing something that is supposed to affect their relationship with God, which should affect your relationship with other people. How often have we left church and gotten into an argument on the car ride home? Anybody been there? The rest of you are lying. We've had it at our house on the way to church, right? I'm yelling at the kids, get your coat on so we can go to church and learn about Jesus. Right? So I say, Isaiah says, <clears throat> look, we've, we've gotten the cart before the horse or whatever you want to call it. We're, we're doing this wrong. So let's talk about the right way. So Isaiah 58, verse 5. Is it a fast like this which I choose? A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? He, he's like, is this, you think, what I'm looking for out of you? Verse 6, is this not the fast which I choose? This is, this is what I'm after. To loosen the bonds of wickedness. To undo the bands of the yoke. And to let the oppressed go free. And break every yoke. But do I really want you to just go through these motions? Or do I want you coming to me going, God, help me. Deliver me from this addiction. Or... Let the oppressed go free. This person that I, I just can't forgive, God help me forgive them. Because we're both in bondage until I let go of this debt that they owe me. Because I would rather you fast as an intercessor for someone else than just coming to me to get your way. Verse 7. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry? This is what I'm what I care about. Right? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him? Does some of that sound familiar? That language, feed the hungry to clothe the naked. And then this one really this this just punched me in the nose the other day, and I was working on this, and, says, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, or your own sin. What if you fasted your lunch this week, and tucked the money that you would have spent on that uh, into the hand of someone who's poor and hungry? What if you did that? I'm not casting stones, obviously, but... I don't think there's a person in here who couldn't skip lunch for a week and, you know, not be in a medical emergency because of it. Right? Or what if you took that money that you would have spent on lunch and you donated it to Common Grace so they can feed more people? He says this, he says, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. 
Like I said, that really, that really uh, convicted me. Some of us have no problem helping a stranger. But it's really hard for us to show that same love for a relative or someone we've known for a long time. Right? Because I've helped you before. You should know better. You've been here before. Really? Aren't you more mature than this? Or, you know, we come up with all these reasons not to show the love of Christ. And he's, he's like, you know, some of you can treat strangers great and treat your family terrible. I remember hearing this story about uh, this, this guy he'd not been feeling well. And he goes to the doctor and gets a bunch of blood work done. And the doctor calls his wife in. I want to go over these results with you first. You know, he has a rare condition, uh, and without proper treatment, it's going to kill him. So there's good news. Uh, he receives some healthy, home-cooked meals three times a day, you know, healthy home-cooked meals. Uh, his immune system is compromised, so you're going to have to keep the house, like, immaculately clean. He can't handle any stress, so no confrontations, no arguments. And he needs to avoid any strenuous labor. Uh, so, you know, he just needs to sit in his chair and relax. Uh, and, and he requires nightly full body massage. And so she came out in the lobby. My husband was like, well, what did the doctor say? And she said, he said you're going to die. Matthew 25, verse 35, Jesus says this. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. These are all the things he says that his people, who live rightly, who live, live faithful to the gospel, this is what they do. Basically, the, the gospel went from their head to their heart and then to their hands. Uh, there's an old expression that the, the, you know, the longest distance the gospel will ever travel is from the head to the heart. Um, and that's true, like, you know, going from intellectual ascent to, uh, you know, an actual intimate relationship is, is the hard part, or is the, the big step that many people don't take. But even more than that is it's not just feelings anymore, but I'm going to actually, it's going to affect my action. Right? That's what matters, is it goes from my head to my heart and then to my hands. That I'm going to live this out. It's not just a thing that I'm going to talk about. Practical, sacrificial love is what he's looking for. And then he says, if you do this, right, if you actually take this message from your head to your heart, to your hands, Isaiah 58, verse 8, then your light will break out like the dawn. And your recovery, or your health, depending on your translation, will speedily spring forth, right? This is how you will be healthy. It's not healthy for you to just 
eat and eat and eat and eat and eat of my word and then never go out and exercise it. Never go out and use it. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Right? If you do this, not to get your way, but to humble yourself before me. If you do this to help people be set free, then then you'll be living rightly. You'll be living like one of mine. Verse 9 says, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. Right? You're so worried about getting your prayers answered. Now this isn't, don't get it twisted, right? This isn't a magic recipe, right? Do this, do this, and now God has to answer your prayer. But he's saying, no, you, you're, you're letting my word get into your head, into your heart, you're living it out, and then you talk to me, and guess what? This, there's this cycle that happens. You will call, the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking with wickedness, false accusations or spreading rumors. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the bondage of this this false, this hypocritical spirituality that you're trying to put on. Right, that's it. Keeping up appearances is a really heavy weight to carry. In Acts, we see uh, Paul talking to some people that were trying to convince the early Christ, you know, early church that they needed to practice all these things, right? Do all this stuff. Acts 15, verse 10, he says, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Right? So we stop burdening people with yokes that aren't from me. Right? Uh, finger pointing and debating and all of that. Isaiah 58 verse 10. If we can cruise through the rest of it. Verse 10, uh, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. Give yourself to the hungry. That's both a physical thing, right? If somebody's physically hungry, that's a, that should be a priority for you, Christian, to make sure that that need is met. But if they're hungry spiritually, that's a priority. I have no interest in debating theology anymore. I just don't. Uh, if you're hungry and you really want to know, I'm happy to share with you. But I don't care about winning an argument. Uh, you're free to be wrong. You know? uh, he says, gloom will become like midday. When, you fo when your focus shifts from yourself to others, you actually benefit from them. Verse 11, And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire and scorch places and give strength to your bones and you'll be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. When people come to you, are they refreshed? When someone leaves an interaction with you, do they leave refreshed or do they leave with a bitter taste in their mouth? 
John 7, verse 38, Jesus says, He who believes in me, as the Scripture says, from him, uh, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, not bitterness. Right? And fasting can help keep a freshness to our, uh, our treatment of other people. Isaiah 58, verse 12, he says, Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundation. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. This is really interesting. He says, if you're doing this, if you're living this way, you're going to be known as someone who fills in the holes, who doesn't break things down but builds them up. And, he, and God was sending the same message through other prophets that lived at the same time. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the, way, uh, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient path where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. He was telling them the same stuff. There are, there are holes in your community. There are holes in your family. There are holes in this church. And you can be one who repairs them by getting back to the basic stuff. Isaiah 58, verse 13. It says, If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasures, and speaking your own words. Right? Remember, um, in verse 2, they were doing all these external things loving the things about God but not loving God himself. And he says, if you'll just learn to rest in me, if, you if you'll just remember that I've already done all the work and you put less stock in the words of other people and more stock in my word, if you just learn to fall deeper in love with me, then verse 14, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Because you will take delight in the Lord. You take delight in the Lord. Psalm 37, he uses the same word. Verse 4, he says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I remember the first time I heard that verse, I was like, okay, it's a recipe, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you whatever you want. But the point of the thing is, care about what God cares about, and He'll get you. He'll make sure you get what you care about, because you care about what He cares about. Right? There's a song, uh, talking with uh, Chad and Bob earlier about this, but, uh, Come Thou Fount, old there's a line in there that, you know, it's come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy good. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Tune my heart, recalibrate me to care about what you care about. Or as Jesus put it, Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. It's the simple stuff.
me to focus, and everything else will fall into place. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you this evening for giving us another chance to look into your word. God, we're just like the people of Judah, the people of Israel. Uh, we, we do all the things and sometimes forget the meaning behind the things, why we're doing what we're doing. Lord, we just pray that uh, you'd help us to, um, to focus on you, that we would love you and love people. And let us tomorrow go out and leave uh, people refreshed by our presence because we're carrying your spirit with us. We don't want to leave a bitter taste in anyone's mouth. We want to leave them thirsty for what it is that you provide. Lord, help us to rest in you. Lord, we pray uh, that your will would be done in our lives, that we would have a new zeal to, uh, to serve you and to love people. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. We pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And everyone says, Ready? Break.